Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how to not be an asshole at work. We'll tell you about bad bosses, how they can be handled, how to tell if you happen to be one. An executive and an executive coach, both artists working in advertising and marketing for more than two decades, are here to advise you on the ins and outs of office environments. The Bad Boss Brief is your ultimate guide to navigating any employment landscape. Without any further ado, here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Hello there. Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief, the strategic guide to how not to be an asshole at work. I'm <laughs> Stephanie Payrollo. <laughs> and I'm Eugene S. Robinson. And today we are going to talk about the DEI lie. We're going to talk about how companies pretend that they care about equity, but in reality, it's a sham. It's a cynical performance. It's a house of lies. <laughs> and you know, since since I've spent so much of my career in advertising and tech, we're going to focus primarily on advertising with a little bit of looking at tech. And and what happened was after George Floyd was murdered. There was a huge upsurge in mm. DEI positions, talk about DEI, and the ad agencies in particular made mm. a lot of noise about how they were really committed to diversity and really mm. committed to Black Lives Matter. And in reality, there hasn't been a lot of change. If you look at the websites at the big ad agency holding companies or some of the bigger ad agencies, You'll see people of color, but they're almost invariably in an HR or a DEI position, and they're not in business leadership or creative leadership. So, and, and you know, it was mind blowing. I mean, I mentioned to you before that, but I have a relationship with agencies that goes back to like people I knew at Ogilvy and Ogilvy and Mather who were like uh, throwing me shade in 1985, 86, when just out of college, when I'm trying to get a job, and was equally qualified coming from Stanford with no, it's not like you have a, a major in commercial advertising, you know, or an interest. I'd actually done ad sales for, for Stanford Daily and other publications. It still was like, yes, yes, now run along. <laughs> so it's, it's always been a curious industry to me because it seems like it would be an incredibly democratic one, but it is totally not. And yet, well, and I think one of the things that I, that I was thinking of as we were putting this together, and I'd like to tell the story of the time that I hired you as a freelance to work for an <laughs> agency that will be unnamed in Seattle. You want to tell that story or you want me to tell it? I don't know if I can tell it without telling the name of the, the agency, so you might as well start it. No, I, I, it's okay. I'll do it. I think I can do it. I can exercise a rare amount of self-control. Um, so I, I had – you had thrown me some freelance work, and by all measures – Things were going swimmingly. They loved the work. They loved the work enough, and correct me if I'm wrong, that at some point they said, hey, why don't we just have him come up here? He's, he's not that far away. He's in California. It's a cheap ticket. They fly me up. I, I, I'm there in the office, and the boss, who looks eerily like a Fred Flintstone, walks in, and he does it. <laughs> <laughs> like like he had stepped in like he had opened the bathroom door and did not expect to see me there and yeah whatever i i you know i'm used to people being shocked at the gloriousness of my presence it didn't bother me after the meeting you later told me you you said that he said uh you didn't tell me he was black <laughs> and, and you said well is that a problem and he was like oh no 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 however never got another stitch of work from them again which i think is mind-blowing 
mind. Yeah. I could have gone to work for Fairchild, where Shockley was an uh, William Shockley was an avowed racist, and that wouldn't have happened. Engineering was more democratic than that. So. Yeah, and I and I think what was interesting to me in watching that is this particular CEO had a almost like a tick where he would call everybody dude particularly mm-hmm. men. So he was always sprinkling like, dude, dude, dude. And mm-hmm. he had, he knew that I had hired you. I said, look, I've got a, a friend from Stanford who's a technical writer. I think you're working at Intel or Apple at that time. I'm like, yep. that's what I need. He had been on conference calls with you. And it clearly had never occurred to him that a technical writer who had gone to Stanford who was working at Apple or Intel would be a black man. Because when you walked in, he really did like the jaw drop double take. And what was so funny is that instead of calling you dude, he started calling you man. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, man. Okay, man. Okay. And I just, I remember looking at him and thinking, do you have so little self-control over your face that you can't like stop and dissemble what it, your yeah. reaction is. But I know that was many, many years ago, but I, I always think of that as kind of the touchstone. I, I always think of that as a way of understanding how, you know, and there were no other black creatives in that agency, right? Yeah. And, and in most agencies since that time. And so I think what I wanted to talk about today, I thought a, a frame of this would be to talk about stupid white people mistakes. <laughs> and I want to be clear about the context is that I am often a stupid white person. <laughs> okay, right? well, that's so, for you to say. Okay. <laughs> no, so I'm taking it because, you know, it was funny because we've done a few of these now, right? And it's generally I come into my office and you and I talk about some stuff and some people listen and make some comments. It's fun for me. This right. one I was nervous about because I don't want to be a stupid white person today live doing a podcast on YouTube. And so I, in looking well, at- you know, stupid- so, some of the American South would say, you're Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that, that white true. person stuff. But okay. That is yeah. true. There, yeah. there is that second generation yeah. Italian. There is that. Um, but stupid white person mistake number one is expecting people of color to educate us about race. <laughs> so I think this, it, I, yeah. I've seen this happen on a corporate level and I've seen this happen on a personal level. On a corporate level, it's often that uh, white leaders will turn to people in the black ERG or employee resource group and mm-hmm. say, do some content for Black History Month or come in and talk about this. In other words, do work above and beyond the actual job that you get paid for mm-hmm. um, in your spare time. I've heard on social media that there are a lot of people will call up black speakers or writers and say, come in and give us your work for free, essentially, right? We want you to talk on this panel. We want you to come and speak and educate. So the first thing is don't ask, you shouldn't ask anybody to work for free, but particularly don't ask people of color to work for free just because it happens to be a heritage month. Yeah, right. Right? right. So that's, that's the corporate side of it. And the more personal side of it is that, you know, I've seen people who, white people who start to understand that they might need to do some work on their attitudes around race. Maybe they mm-hmm. read a book, maybe something happens in the news and they want to talk to pe- black people about it or people of color. And so they assume a friendship where a friendship doesn't exist. Right. 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 With someone who they know at the gym or someone who, not anyone, not an actual friend who's been to their house for dinner, but somebody <laughs> right. they consider to be a friend. Of a tour guide. Yeah. What they want to yeah, do is yeah. exactly they want they want to process. And, you know, just it's it's good for white people to process with other white people. Mm-hmm. You know, there are black ERGs. I actually heard of a nonprofit that has what they call a white caucus, which is a right. group of white people who get together to talk about their whiteness. Right. 
And I think that should happen more often. Yep. And so if you want to, if you want to process that, do it with other white people. And I just want to recommend um, that if you want to get smarter, First of all, follow people of social who, people of color on social media, but also buy books and read them. Two that I'm going to suggest: Ijeoma Lo has a book, "So You Want to Talk About Race," mm-hmm. which is fantastic. I suggest it to many of my clients. And uh, Ruchika Tulshan, her last name is spelled T-U-L-S-H-Y-A-N, has written some amazing articles for the Harvard Business Review, and she just came out with a book called Inclusion on Purpose, which I Mm -hmm. just bought. So if you want to be educated, if you want to learn more, buy books by women of color Mm -hmm. rather than trying to buttonhole them in the gym and ask them to, like you said, be a tour guide. You know, it was funny. I got a call recently, somebody who publicly seems to need a lot of PR help, uh, um, uh, Morrissey, uh, said, Morrissey wants to speak to you. I was like, this is the founder of the Smiths and now a solo performer who's recently run afoul by saying that I guess white people just really want to hang out with other white people and other such canards. And, uh, and I said, well, you want me to talk to him? He goes, well, no, actually, you could just help me and talk to me. He wants you to give him a list of black writers who write about more than their blackness. And I go, well, uh, yeah, okay, me. <laughs> so you can start. We can start with me. But I actually, I fought my urge to. Uh, he said, reading list. I didn't put Mein Kampf on the reading list because I had made a determination that Adolf Hitler was not African American. And, and I gave him some of the, the African American writers who I like, who just who just happen to be writers, right? I guess that's what he was wanting. I have no idea if he actually tried to if if Morrissey has pursued these books, but uh, they were not didactic. It was like uh, uh, Blacktop Wasteland, that guy S.A. Crosby, you know, um, uh, Adam Smyers, Knucklehead, uh, and of course, you know, my novel, A Long Slow Screw. Uh, um, But I thought that that was an interesting way to kind of, to kind of um, farm out the work without being really insulting about the work that he farmed out, which was really sort of interesting right like he asked somebody to ask me he didn't actually ask me <laughs> so so that was it was like neither fish nor fowl it was actually cool i was glad to make the recommendations except at any point were they talking about compensating you for your time doing this um the, the guy who asked me uh was calling in a favor and so yeah it it, it was he's giving me a lot for free okay so, okay yeah, because yeah. you know if we're going to call it work let's make sure that there's yeah, actually yeah, yeah. some yeah. there's some yeah. kind of value Right. So let's move on to stupid white person mistake number two, which is <laughs> perpetuate the myth that there is no black talent out there. Yeah. yeah that's and this is one that I've heard a thousand times in advertising. And I have to say, I did fall for this for a while. Mm-hmm. And the idea was, well, we don't have any senior black people in leadership because there aren't any. They don't exist. Mm-hmm. There, is, there are no black people who are qualified. And I have to say, I was a stupid white person who said to agency leaders, well, why don't you try outreach to HBCUs? Why don't you try out- outreach to, you know, um, even high schools if you need to? Like this idea of like, let's show black people that they can come and work in advertising. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I saw this, I've learned a lot from this guy, Derek Walker, who is, yes. yeah, follow him on all the socials. He's amazing. He's a black mm-hmm. creative in the South. And the first time I ever uh, saw him, I was speaking at the 3% conference, which is a conference that tries to help get more women in leadership in advertising Mm -hmm. creative positions. 
And there were a bunch of white women up on the stage. And Derek, who's a black man, was pacing back and forth and back and started calling them on the fact that they were focusing a lot on helping white women and not talking at all about helping people of color. And of course, he got my attention and I started following him on social media and, you know, know him and have talked to him. And, you know, his point is, which I think is accurate, is there are plenty of talented mm-hmm. senior yep. black leaders and yep. creatives who are not getting hired. Yep. So this whole notion that there just aren't black people out there is a lie. It is a or they're getting laid. Yeah, or they're getting they're getting laid off after they've been hired. <laughs> yes, shortly <laughs> shortly after, right? And, right? and again, I mean the the studies. There's an article in um, Bloomberg by Kelsey Butler who talks yep. about how many people in tech were laid off that had a DEI function or were part of a DEI team. Mm-hmm. Right. So after George Floyd was murdered, Indeed said that DEI job postings went up 123 percent. But those are the people who now are getting laid off, right? So anyway, but I think I think what's interesting is another point that Derek Walker makes is that it the white leaders are subtly putting the blame on on black people, right? Like it's it's your fault that we can't find you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, and and it would be one thing to me if 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 um. You know, I'm a firm believer in meritocracy, right? It would be a, you know, why do, why would I take a seat at the table? I'm clearly I'm being outpaced by people who are are well deserving of of outpacing me, but that's not that's not what I've ever ever found, ever ever found. Never have I gotten into an environment where I feel like you know uh, imposter syndrome, where I feel like man, everybody here is smarter than me. In fact, as you well know, it's probably the exact opposite. <laughs> but that has more to do with my personal predilections than anything else. But, but, you know, the reality of it is, yeah, Derek Walker is great. We interviewed him for the Live 5 uh, series that we started at, at uh, the last agency that we were at. So um, I found him to be insightful and still enjoy his stuff on, on LinkedIn quite a lot. Well, and another thing, there's a practical thing, which is, you know, a lot of agencies use recruiters. For, mm-hmm. To find talent, mm-hmm. tell the recruiter you will not look at anything that isn't. We won't look at a resume that isn't from a person of color. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I think the idea is, I just, I just want to have a note. Don't do that thing where you say mm-hmm. we interviewed three black people, but we ended up hiring the white guy, and somehow yeah. you feel like it's okay to hire the white guy because, like, that's let's no, let's not do that. But I remember at the, one, at, the, at, the, at the risk of running a little bit over, let me I'll just tell a brief story. That yeah, yeah. My first job out of college was at EW Communications. It was as an assistant editor at uh, Microwave Systems News, a tech journal for the defense industry. And the two brothers who hired me, German guys who were born in Argentina, uh, I, I'm not asking questions. They, they, I had two resumes go out at that time. I had one that mentioned that I was a member of the Black Students' Union and one that didn't. Just for me, for my own sake, to see what was going to happen. They, they zeroed in on the one that said Black Students' Union. They hired me. And they later told me the story that the the head of, uh, I don't know how this figures in with Axis Powers, but the head of HR, who was Japanese, had not wanted to hire a qualified black woman prior to me, and they were enraged. And so they had set about finding a qualified black, another qualified black candidate that could not be denied, and that character was me. Um, and uh, I detected that there was weirdness when I first met the, the HR person who I'm quite sure is now dead, uh, Jane Akashima, and, and she ended up being one of my later biggest supporters there. But that was a groundwork that laid 
from me being hired that it was like it was a, a philosophical point had to be made and they chose me to make it and keep in mind it took me 17 months after graduating from Stanford to get a job in my field you know? well and, and there is this notion like I remember once I was running a small company and pretty diverse but had no black people and I said okay mm-hmm. the next person we hire is going to be a black person and mm-hmm. we were looking for an accountant and the C- the CFO said to me quite seriously well I mean, I don't want to lower our standards just to be more diverse. And I was like, why do you assume that standards are going to be lowered? Yeah. And, and that was her, you know, a white woman. That was her assumption. And we hired a black woman who was the best accountant I have ever seen, yep. bar none. And, yep. but, you know, and I doubt that that, I doubt that there was sort of a revision with that. Um, yeah, that right, right, right. CFO's idea. All right. So stupid white person mistake number three. Focus your inclusion efforts on white women and white LGBTQ plus people. So let me be really clear. I think that workplaces should be open and supportive and inclusive for everyone. And that includes queer people. That includes people with disabilities, people who are older, people who are veterans, people who practice whatever religion. That that all is true. What I have seen, which is disappointing, is that I see agencies who talk about inclusion and they talk about DEI and what they mean is white women and queer white people. And they have no blacks or Latinos in leadership outside of HR or DEI. That's a DEI Mm. lie. Yeah, that is one. (laughs) And And that is one. Go ahead. Yeah, and I just—it's a weird kind of identity identity politics <laughs> that you know you spread your cards. I, I'm not a big poker person, so I don't really you know with a royal royal flush or full house. It's like okay, well we we we've checked all the boxes here. We are done. So yeah, right. And I think you know we often call out bad bosses, but I wanted to call it a good one who I think is doing this really well. There's an agency in Seattle that's called DNA, and I know them well. And Alan Brown is one of the founders, and he's white. And he's gay. And he has started a come out to work, an industry organization to support the LGBTQ plus um, community and inclusion. And they have this cool new program that's called Project 47 Pledge. Mm -hmm. And what I appreciate about that is that DNA does a yes and. So Mm -hmm. Alan is spearheading these initiatives to support gay workers, queer workers in advertising. And the CEO of DNA is a black man, Chris Witherspoon. Mm -hmm. Their mm-hmm. executive creative oh, yeah. director is a white woman, which is very unusual to have women as ECDs, named Missy mm-hmm. Cass. Um, mm-hmm. I did a one-woman show where I was talking about sexual harassment, mm-hmm. and it was at a teeny little theater in Seattle a few years ago. One of the only men in the audience was Alan. Mm-hmm. And he was so frustrated that there weren't more men from advertising listening to that show about sexual yeah. harassment and advertising. Yeah. He, yeah. he helped me get it staged in Seattle Center. And so it is possible to focus on a particular area where you want to help people in Mm -hmm. your community or a community, but Mm -hmm. you don't support white women, Mm -hmm. support white queer people, but don't do it to the exclusion of helping more black and brown people get work and get onto your leadership team. Right. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, this is this is the thing where you wonder how did they make those mistakes? <laughs> you know, how did they make those mistakes? And in fact, recently I came up onto uh, uh, I had the occasion to I've got a, a cover story appearing in a magazine, and the magazine will make itself known in April, I guess it comes out. And I referenced a song by Patti Smith. Those of you who are fans of Patti Smith know the song I'm talking about, and it includes the word that most of the rest of the world. Use uh, 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 describes as the N word, but which I call correctly as it's in the name of the title, rock and roll nigger. And they said, "Listen, we can't have you use that." I said, "It's between quotes." They said, "Yeah, but you know, um, you know what it would look like is that you know our staff of twenty-one white people, you know, signed off on it." And I was like, "You got twenty-one white people on your staff? <laughs> Did you got any?" Latinos, Asian people, black folks on the staff, 21 white people. Where are you guys based? You Sweden? <laughs> and that guy just laughed. It was like, ah, well. So uh, we, uh, I said, you know, so we have 21 white people essentially uh, uh, defining my truth. <laughs> or Patty Smith's, as the case may be. And they're like, okay, we'll just leave it as is. I go, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's just... Uh, I mean, I, I remember at one point somebody was throwing shade at another publication. I think Fortune of Forbes had put their staff on, and somebody was throwing at another publication in New York was throwing shade, and, and they took a picture from their staff meeting when it was all women. And it was like, yeah, maybe you might want to try some of this. And somebody was like, <laughs> do you know anybody other than white women? Because, you know, in trying to roast these guys, you've set yourself up to be roasted because I don't see any people of color in this room on your staff of over 20 people. I mean, the number of companies that I've worked at where there have been more than 10 African-American faces in the building, I count as one. And that would be Code Magazine, which is a, mag- a GQ magazine uh, kind of take on uh, a style magazine for men of color. <laughs> so it was written into our charter and it was great to see people who were non uh, black who I had on the staff adjust to that reality. It's like, this is what I live every day. <laughs> but, well, you know, it's interesting because I was talking to a client about this um, last week is that there are two times in my life where I've been the only white person in a room full of black people. And one time was at a restaurant and the other time was at a party. And I looked around both times and I thought to myself, the, the black people that I work with, the black friends that I have, this is all day, every day at work. This is all day, every day. And I've had this for two. So that's like two hours in my 60 years. And how many times have you been? The only black person in a room full of white people. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, dozens and dozens, hundreds. <laughs> right, right, right. So. Well, and I think this is the I think this is the challenge too is that you know we live very segregated lives, right? And I mean studies show this. We go to you know we go to church in different places. We work out in different places. We live in different places, and we tend to have people who look like us and think like us around us as white people. Mm. And I think there's some things that you can't understand unless you see them happening. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's part of the challenge is that there's so many people that are not in community with people who are not like them. Mm-hmm. And so they become like that CEO that we were talking about at the beginning. They can't moderate their face. They're yeah. not they're not yeah. used to. They have this sort of level of discomfort. Like one of the things that I think about when I think about my ongoing education about my white privilege is I remember 
you and I were working out at Gold's Gym, and this is Mm -hmm. over 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. and we take a break and you're talking to a friend of yours who says, Mm -hmm. hey, where are you working? And you Mm -hmm. say, Intel. And he looks at you and says, oh, do you work on the loading dock? (laughs) I don't remember that. (laughs) And the reason reason that I remember that (sighs) is... I thought to myself, like it was, it, you know, I mean, I was in my 20s, right? And I remember thinking, oh, this is racism in action. We both went to Stanford. We both are the same age. We both are working. He would not have asked me if I was working on the wedding doc. And you said, no, I'm actually, you know, whatever your position was, which was, you know, pretty senior. But I remember that. And, and I feel like, you know, that change my understanding of right, white right. privilege to see did, that just kind of casual racism. Did I laugh in his face? What did, what was you my were reaction? actually, well, the other thing was you were actually yeah. surprisingly polite. Yeah. One, <laughs> you were not surprised. Yep. Right. And I think yep. you probably did whatever calculation and assessment you do in your head about yep. how big you want your reaction to be to a certain thing. And well, you also, just, you know, politely said, this is what I do. Well, also, too, there's always, I mean, what I find interesting in California, much more so than the race discussion, is class and caste, right? And if this was a blue-collar guy asking me this, then, you know, then this is not a, he's trying to figure out tribally if we are the same tribe, you know? You pour concrete, do you, do you drive piles, do you hang sheetrock, do you, some of those things I've actually done in, in any case, right? I used to be a furniture mover, so um, so I'm always careful to be like, loading dock, you know, is that what? It's his loading dock, you know. If he's another, if he's an executive, then I'm like, you know, like going into Les Videz's office at uh, at at Intel, and Les Videz, who was one of the founders of Intel up there with Andy Grove, knew I was coming. Show up, he does a double take, and his first words were to me were like, "You like basketball?" <laughs> he's Hungarian, so I just gotta go. Nah, man, I'm I'm into martial arts, so it's that basketball. No, no, thanks. It was oh great. It was a god. it was a fu- funny moment. Funny moment. Oh my god! All right. Well, yeah. people have asked us to give specifics, so I I yep. do want to have a couple of takeaways that I hope people can think of. Right. So, yep. for white people who want to be better bosses, here are some suggestions. Number one, educate yourself. Right? Mm. Talk about your process with other white people, and then try to call other white people into better awareness. There's a mm. huge fear among white people of talking about race because they're afraid they're going to get it wrong. We have to get over that fear, right? I mean, I've seen so many times where if you were standing across the room mm-hmm. and I, and somebody wanted to describe you, they would say, you know, the, the guy with the hat who's, who's wearing the brown, instead of the black man, standing <laughs> yeah. across the room, right? we as white people need to get more comfortable talking yeah. about race and, yeah. and practice with your white friends. Number two, don't center yourself. Yeah. White women in particular, there are conversations we do not need to be a part of. Yeah. There are things that are not about us. Let it be. Mm. Don't make an analogy between the discrimination that we experience as white women, which is real and which is challenging with the experiences that people of color have, because it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Number three, if you are in leadership, commit to specific DEI metrics, real numbers, what percentage of people that you hire will be black and brown? It's it's fine to prioritize additional groups, as I mentioned, but you can't talk about being a DEI success. You can't talk about being inclusive unless you have black and brown people in leadership 
outside of HR and DEI. And again, interviewing people of color, but hiring the white guy does not count. Mm -hmm. All right. Any other takeaways that I should add in there? No, I got my fire me segment coming up and that increasingly that this is going to be a place too, where we break stuff that you don't know that you haven't heard about and that nobody's told you yet, but that the kind of scuttlebutt that we've gotten. And so my, uh, my takeaway, the gossip I've gotten has been that the HoloLens project at Microsoft is going to see massive layoffs this week. So uh, or th- th- this week or next week, it's a rumor. It's uh, it's not like I've got a piece of paper that says this like outside of members of, of uh, executive members of the uh, HoloLens team at Microsoft who have loose lips. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that me, somebody who's two generations removed, say, from anything having to do with Microsoft knows this. And yet there are probably people on, on the HoloLens team who don't have any idea that this is coming. So that, that, is, that is bad message control that, that, you know, that a member here of, of, of uh, the fourth estate is, uh, is in possession of information that the people working on it don't have. That, that should not happen. So that, that so- is my... If you are a member of that team, please get in touch with us. We want to hear yep. from you. Um, you can either join us live every other Monday at 1230 and put comments into the chat, or you can write us at WTF at Bad Boss Brief. And we heard from our friend, Lord Snoodles, who wrote in and suggested that we ask each other questions. Well, I'd say to you, send us questions that you want us to answer. Uh, we heard from Bob W., who said that the world would be a better place if don't be an asshole at work caught on. We completely, completely agree with. And then Anna wrote in and suggested a topic for a future show, which Uh is the passive aggressive boss, which I like. So thanks, Anna. We've put that on the list. And some other future shows are going to be the fearful boss and the addicted boss. Well, these are great because if you remember Matt Groening did the nine types of bosses and that, you know, and that was a really great breakdown. And I laugh when you say passive aggressive boss, because though I said I would never be a, a lousy boss when I've been a boss, I have been the passive aggressive boss. Can you finish this project by Tuesday? Well, I have, my, you know, I'm moving. You know what? It's OK. I'll do it. <laughs> it gets done. And somehow there's a lurking suspicion that I'm holding it against them, and I am, but at least it gets done, and that's that's the worst bad boss thing I've done. But I can't think even now of a way to do it better, so when we do the show, you could actually advise me on how to have been better in that moment, other than say, it's fine, I'll do it, and, and then go ahead and do it, you know. All so. right, so we can do, we can do a little uh, coaching on the spot for passive-aggressive bosses. <laughs> All right. I think that's that's all we've got. Um, again, get in touch with us at WTF at BadBossBrief.com. And thanks for joining us. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Ah! All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bad Boss Brief with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and Eugene S. Robinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's the number 3, on Instagram. Send us your questions or comments to WTF at BadBossBrief.com 
And be sure to join us right here on your favorite podcast platform for more insights every other week. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work. Thank <laughs> you.